This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. Welcome to another episode of Preservation Oaks. In this series, we introduce you to professionals from museums, cultural, genealogical, and historical societies across the United States. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. This is Sean Radcliffe coming to you from Salt Lake City, and this is Preservation Oaks, the internationally syndicated original talk program on MicroStream Radio, where we feature interviews with professionals from museums, cultural and heritage institutions, historical and genealogical societies across the United States. By the way, our main platform is preservationoaks.podbean.com, but we're also on almost every podcast platform as well as YouTube and Odyssey. So wherever you listen to the program, I appreciate it very much when you like, comment, follow, or subscribe. We give people a better understanding of these organizations, know how they're supported, how each is unique to the communities they serve, what programs and events they currently have underway, and what services they offer to the public and their members. We believe this information is vital for people to know how to work with these organizations and how important it is to join support, volunteer with, and donate to one or more of these core societies. Remember that your donations are tax-deductible. Each guest organization on Preservation Oaks brings with them a truly unique viewpoint and perspective around how they tell the story of their communities, how they continue to be relevant for the times in which we live, and what kinds of exhibits and volunteer opportunities they've created. This makes listening to each episode of the program interesting, fun, and diverse. If you're listening and you'd like to be a guest on the program, or if you have questions or comments about the program, spin off an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. All right, that all being said, let's get this show snapping. Our historical August birthdays for this episode. Happy birthday to jazz trumpet player Louis Armstrong. He was born in New Orleans, Louisiana, and he was known as Satchmo. He appeared in many films and is best known for his renditions of It's a Wonderful World and Hello, Dolly. He was born on August 4, 1901. On August 4, 1912, happy birthday to Swedish diplomat Raoul Wallenberg, who was born in Stockholm. During the Holocaust, Wallenberg saved an estimated 33,000 Jewish people by issuing thousands of protective documents, by securing the release of Jews from deportation trains, death march convoys, labor service brigades, and by establishing the International Ghetto, a network of 31 protected houses. 
He was detained by Soviet agents on January 17, 1945, and is believed to have died in prison in 1947. On August 6, 1965, the Voting Rights Act was signed into law by President Lyndon B. Johnson. The act suspended literacy, knowledge, and character tests designed to keep African Americans from voting in the South. It also authorized the appointment of federal voting examiners and barred discriminatory poll taxes. The act was renewed by Congress in 1975, 1984, and 1991. Here's a couple of jokes. What do history teachers talk about on dates? The good old days. Why does history keep repeating itself? Because we weren't listening the first time. Let's take a drink of tea. Love Twining's Tea. Okay. Listeners, it ends with the next episode. Don't miss the compelling season one finale of Preservation Oaks. It's been a season with truly unique organizations, stellar history, and great information. This has been a strong season, and so interesting. It's impossible to stop listening. I can't wait for season two. Enjoy the season one finale on our next episode of Preservation Oaks. Stay tuned. Now you can email us anytime at preservationoaks at gmail.com. Preservation Oaks is available for listeners on nearly all podcast platforms, Facebook, YouTube, and Odyssey. On our next episode of Preservation Oaks, we'll be meeting with Iowa County Historical Society located in Brooklyn, Iowa. They have a wonderful heritage barn, a log cabin, and other buildings with a number of great things to see. And they tell an important story of Iowa and America. It'll be fun and interesting chatting with co-directors Patricia Henricks and Dolores Tibben. For this episode, we greet Ben Terwilliger, the executive director of the Eudora Area Historical Society located in Eudora, Kansas. If you're a resident in the local area, this episode will help you understand what the society has to offer, how you can participate and take advantage of the worthwhile events the society sponsors, and how to best support them by volunteering and donating. Here's a brief biography of our guest. Ben Terwilliger grew up in Kansas City. From a young age, Ben had a deep interest in history, politics, and museums. He graduated from the University of Kansas in 2009 with a bachelor's degree, majoring in history and political science. He received his master's degree with honors in museum studies from the University of Kansas in 2011. While in college, he interned with the Kansas Historical Society, Freedom's Frontier, and the Watkins Museum. Ben worked as an education assistant at the Shawnee Indian Mission State Historic Site, and later he was also an education assistant at the Johnson County Museum. Ben began his leadership role as the executive director of the Eudora Area Historical Society in January of 2011, a position he still holds today. Before we bring Ben onto the program, I'd like to provide listeners with the contact information of the Society. You can go to their website at www.cityofudoraks.gov backslash 100 backslash eudora-community-museum. They're on Facebook, of course, as the Eudora Area Historical Society. Their mailing address is 720 Main Street, Eudora, Kansas 66025. Their phone is 785-690-7900, and their hours are Tuesday through Saturday, 12 o'clock to 5 o'clock. To schedule a tour, please call. 
you can email him at eudorahistory at gmail.com. And if you'd like to know more about Eudora's history, you can go to the website eudoraksshistory.com. All right, listeners, now that you have that information, please join me in welcoming Ben Terwilliger, Executive Director of the Eudora Area Historical Society and Museum. Welcome to the program, Ben. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. How are you and how is Eudora in Douglas County, Kansas today? I think we're doing pretty well. We're pretty excited because a new Panasonic battery plant is opening up just east of us. So we're hopeful that that'll bring a lot of jobs and money into the area. So people have been pretty happy recently. Oh, that's great. How many jobs are expected? Well, we were told 4,000. Wow. All right. Well, that's not as big as the ammunition plant that was there, right? Not, not, a, not nearly. No, the sunflower plant back during World War II had about 12,000 employees. Okay. I found a picture recently of the inside of the museum, and it's really beautiful. I mean, really beautiful. You've really built something very special there in Eudora. The people of the area can be very proud of their executive director and the society. Now, speaking of the society, it's called the Eudora Area Historical Society and Museum. I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but what makes up the Eudora area? Yes, that's a very common question. Basically, we focus not just on the city of Eudora, but what, what is called the Eudora Township, which is the rural area surrounding it. And that includes various local communities, some of which are ghost towns now, but that includes the communities of Fall Leaf, which is just over the river north of us in Leavenworth County, the former town of Prairie Center, which is in Johnson County, which got dismantled when they built the sunflower plant. There's also a community called Weaver, which is non-existent because repeated floods washed it away in the river valley. And then there are the communities of Hesper and Clearfield. So all of those communities make up the Eudora area, and it does spill into Johnson and Leavenworth counties. It's not just in Douglas County. Well, on the map, you can see Eudora is sandwiched between, I think it's Lawrence, Kansas, and Kansas City. It's like yep. in a perfect little spot right there. Hey, what's the history of the Eudora Area Historical Society and Museum? The, uh, the Historical Society was established around the year 1980 by a woman named Fern Long and several other people. And they, at that point, started to collect some of the history, the stories of Eudora. They wrote various publications about Eudora, and they started to collect things. At that time, most people just, when they got an item relating to the history of Eudora, they stored it at their house or in their basement. And at that time, a lot of Eudora-related artifacts went to museums in Lawrence, which is nearby, because we didn't have a museum. Our first museum was started in 2004 by a couple of people named Patty Johnston, Martha Harris, Jim Harris, and Glenn Weiniger. And they opened our first museum at an old abandoned middle school at 10th and Main Street here in Eudora. So that was our first home. The, uh, the Eudora School District allowed us to have two rooms in that old school rent-free. Problem is that school really had a lot of amenities lacking. It did not have a bathroom. It did not really have a furnace or air conditioner. The place was infested with mice. The front door didn't even lock. Of course, there were no bathrooms. There was no humidity control. So that building had a lot of issues, but nevertheless, it was a home for the first time. And we were housed in that building from 2004 until 2011 when I started working with the Historical Society. And I think in February of 2011, the city told me that they were going to demolish our museum building. So I was a bit apprehensive of what that meant for us going forward. 
But thankfully, the city and the Adora School District allowed us to move into another abandoned school. The school is called the Nottingham School, and they allowed us to move in there for rent-free. This school was closed a couple of years before we moved in there. And this building was a dramatic improvement because for the first time we had an air conditioner, furnace, climate controls. Uh, it had bathrooms. It had doors that worked. And there were fewer mice. There weren't no mice, but there were fewer mice. So it was a definite improvement. I understood pretty early on that we couldn't afford to just keep moving from one abandoned school to the next. So. Yeah. That summer in 2011, I started looking for options to get us a permanent home, one that we call our own, one a building that we would own so we could never get kicked out of again. Because I also understood that the Nottingham School was going to be demolished eventually as well. Just And of course it was. It was demolished a few years ago. So I knew we had to get out of there. And of course, eventually we, we did find a permanent home and we moved into that. Wow, that's really cool. And you moved into your new building in 2020? We moved into our current building in 2015. Okay. We started the process of rehabilitating it in 2013. Basically, in in the summer of 2011, I was made aware of the new county-funded program called the Douglas County Heritage Conservation Council, and it was just getting launched. Basically, the county had set aside, I think, $250,000 to help rehabilitate historic structures. So it seemed like an ideal opportunity for us. At that time, the city of Eudora wanted us to move into what we call the Pillow Building, which is at 701 Main Street, which is a beautiful old building, but it's in pretty rough shape. So I was going to these Heritage Conservation Council meetings to learn more about how we could get this funding, because the owners of that building at the time was a band called the Get Up Kids. They're an emo rock band from Olathe, okay. and they wanted to sell us that building for, I think, about $160,000, which today doesn't seem that unreasonable, but back then it seemed pretty steep for us, especially considering we really didn't have anything. Yeah. So our intent was I was going to go to those meetings to learn how to write a grant, to submit that grant to the county, asking money for us to buy that building at 701 Main Street. I think the most we could have asked for was like 150000 So we, If the county had funded our grant request in total, we almost would have enough money to, to buy it. That being said, that, that building still required hundreds of thousands of dollars of rehabilitation work. So mm-hmm. If we had managed to buy that building, it still wouldn't have gotten us a home. Thankfully, at that time, I was introduced to a woman named Pam Staub Trebs, and she owned 720 Main Street in downtown Eudora, which was also just a shell of a building at the time. It had been in her family for over 90 years at that point. But Pam and I, she was at these meetings trying to figure out if she could apply for grant money to help fix up this building at 720 Main Street. And I was there trying to see if we could get money to buy another building. And I think we realized, why don't we combine forces instead of competing against each other? Pam very generously said, if you guys get the money to rehabilitate my building, I'll give it to you. So that that was the course of action then we started to pursue in 2011. And we got some grant money from the Heritage Council in that first year. So we started the process of rehabilitating the building. Basically, at that time, we just had the hire an architect and get a historic structures report. And then in 2012, we got another like 55000 from the county to rehabilitate this building. And that's really when things started to take off, because in March of 2013, Pam Trebs gave us building and we started the extensive process of rehabilitating it, which took many years. Yeah, well, and it's certainly beautiful now. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we uh, we had to pour you know lots of money, time, and effort into this building. I think the equivalent of seven hundred thousand dollars has been invested into this building. Wow. A couple hundred thousand of that was through grant funding from the county government, primarily. Maybe a hundred thousand of that was raised by private donations. About a hundred thousand of that was raised through donations of materials. A lot of the local contractors would help us rehabilitate our building. They would give us their labor for free, but they would, and sometimes they'd give us materials for free, but typically we'd pay for materials. And then we had over 8,000 hours of volunteer labor that went into the rehabilitation of this building. Uh Most of that labor belongs to our two all-star volunteers, Benny Dean and Bill Gordon. I think they gave about 3,000 hours each of free labor. So when you combine all those forces, all those factors, it was just enough to get us into this building in 2015. Wow, that is very cool. That That is really cool. The community came together and, and everybody supported you. Wow, that's a great story, Ben. <laughs> when I was in Google Street View looking at the town, I noticed a sign in your building window that says Freedom's Frontier, I think it is. What is mm-hmm. that? It's basically a historical area that I think includes about 40 to 41 counties in eastern Kansas and western Missouri. And basically, we're all united on the stories that relate to when the Civil War was going on in this region. It was kind of a, there was a lot of clashes and battles between pro and anti-slavery forces. So basically, the I think it's a federal program. And I think there's many historical areas th- or heritage areas throughout the country. And ours just happens to be that we were united over kind of these Civil War era stories and in other areas as well. So it's kind of a loose affiliation of maybe you know hundreds, if not thousands, of local museums, and and they they host meetings to get us to you know converse with one another to figure out how we can connect to each other. They also have some grants available, I believe, to fund exhibits and so forth. So I think they're a, they're a great organization, and we've been a partner site with them ever since I started. I used to actually intern with Freedom's Frontier many years ago. So oh, I was that's great for a while. What did you do there? I was, I guess, like a survey intern. I was still at college. I was still at KU and when I got that internship. And it was my job to find out every single site in the 41-county region that related to the Freedom's Frontier mission statement. So I basically made a list of all the different historical sites and or museums and or monuments that related to the Freedom's Frontier area. So I had a list of thousands of museums and places in this region. But what's interesting is that I did not have the Eudora Area Historical Society on that list. I was not able to find them because basically my research was confined to the internet. I searched through every county. I went through every county website trying to make a list of different historical sites. And at that time, the Eudora Area Historical Society did not have any online presence at all. So I, I wasn't able to even become aware of the Eudora Area Historical Society until I started working for them. And then to make things even more absurd, I grew up in Olathe, and I went to school in Lawrence, and I must have driven through Eudora hundreds of times, and I still had never found out about the Eudora Area Historical Society. So <laughs> I remember when I first heard about this job, I was surprised that even one existed. And of course, then I realized very soon that it's a great historical society when I first started here, and people had done a lot of work. But at that time, we had a relatively low profile. Right. And so I wasn't able to find out about it until I started working here. I find that to be the, the story of many historical societies is they sort of bury themselves or they're they're just hard to find. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's you're right. I think that's a common 
thing. And of course, a lot of these historical societies are all volunteer run, so they don't have the manpower sometimes to be able to, to do that. That's so it's right. uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, historical societies that would probably benefit from someone who could kind of step in and help them like I did with the Eudora Area Historical Society. But money doesn't grow on trees, so I understand not everyone has that ability. What's the history of Douglas County? I believe Douglas County was one of the original counties in the Kansas Territory. In 1854, the government opened up the Kansas Territory for settlement. And at that time, there was this concept called popular sovereignty, sponsored by Stephen A. Douglas of Illinois. And he had this idea that if we're going to throw out all the previous compromises on slavery, and we're just going to let the settlers in each state or territory decide the fate of slavery, if slavery will be expanded. Technically, slavery should never have been brought into Kansas because of previous compromises. The Compromise of 1850 basically said there will be no slavery in Kansas, but popular sovereignty kind of did away with that. And so in 1854, you had just all these people rushing to the territory to try to influence whether or not it would be a slave state or a free state. And of course, people here were from Missouri, which was a slave state. So the overwhelming majority of early residents here were pro-slavery, and they actually started the pro-slavery capital here in Douglas County, a place called Lecompton. And then not long after that, a bunch of free state people with some abolitionists organized the city of Lawrence to oppose slavery. So this Douglas County was pretty much the, the center point of the slavery debate in the Kansas Territory. Okay. And Eudora was established till 1857, a bit after all of that, because the Eudora area was still in Shawnee tribal hands in 1854. There was a, a Shawnee chief named Pascal Fish, and he owned all of the land that is now the Eudora area. But in 1857, he sold his land to a, a German immigrant company that was based in Chicago. They basically wanted to start a town out in Kansas, and they sent scout parties out to find a place, and they liked the place where Pascal Fish owned his land, and they negotiated the purchase from him. I think it's it's a, it's a good thing to know that Pascal Fish was at least compensated for his land, because a lot of Native Americans were never compensated for their land. Right. They just got stolen. Yeah. So at least in this case, there was... a uh, some compensation. And the story goes is that the German immigrants were so happy to start this community that they named the community Eudora in honor of Pascal Fish's eight-year-old daughter, Eudora Fish. So that's how we got our name. (laughs) That's wonderful. Wow, what a great story. You know, this whole slavery thing that was going on then and how they turned it back to the States. Doesn't that remind you of what's going on today a little bit? I suppose that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to talk with people like you because you have such a wealth of information. Right now at the Eudora Historical Society and Museum, what's your highest priority for the museum at this point? My highest priority has always been about education. I think we exist to educate the public about the history of the Eudora area. That's my number one priority anyway. I I believe that when the uh, local population knows about their history and understands their history, that it gives them a stronger sense of home, a stronger identity towards their home. And then ideally, that will generate a sense of civic pride. We want people to be proud of Eudora. We want people to be proud of their history. You know, the good, bad, the ugly, because Eudora has has it all. It has the good, the bad, and the ugly. I, I want everyone in town to know about the history of their own town. And I think there's a lot of civic pride in Eudora. So I think a lot of people already are interested in learning. In particular, I'm very passionate about trying to educate the youth of Eudora about their history. And we've been fortunate to, I think, host, oh, maybe 2,500 Eudora students at our museum for field trips since I've been here. So I think we've we've managed to spread the 
the the uh, history of the Eudora area to the youth, which I think is very important, so yeah. they get an understanding of their hometown. Wow, that's very cool. Now you had a roofing problem as well, right? Yeah, our museum building dates to 1866, so we've we've had to do a lot of work over the years. the uh, The roof parts of the roof are still like 30 years old, and they leak. And parts of our roof are flat, so water just starts to pool. We've really needed a new roof for a few years now because it leaks in several places. Thankfully, we managed to get enough funding to replace 75% of our roof, which is the part of the roof that needs replacement, through a uh, through Douglas County ARPA funding. I think Douglas County got something like $26 million in ARPA funding, which is federal funding, to distribute to the different agencies in the county. In all of the historical societies in Douglas County united and banded together to ask for, I think, about $730,000 to be used for the six different historical societies in Douglas County. And thankfully, the county awarded us funding in full. Oh, so all great. of the organizations will be able to, to make these improvements, which are mostly related to capital improvements and to making buildings more accessible. I think is the is what some of the other museums in Douglas County are doing. Of course, our portion of that money will be used to replace our roof because that was our biggest capital uh, need. So I expect we'll we'll be able to get our new roof on this fall. Oh, that's great! Somewhere before the snow falls, hopefully. Yeah, I think I think we'll we'll beat the snow falls. We do get a lot of rain here, and it's just constant years of the, all the weather hitting it. And our biggest concern was that the water would pool, and then that it wouldn't. There was no way for it to drain off our roof. So then it started to saturate into our ceiling. Yep. So replace all of our insulation. And thankfully, the new roof will be built up so it'll push all the water off the roof. So we won't have any more pooling water issues. You know, that building you said was built in around 1861? The oldest part of our building was built in 1866. Oh, 66. Uh, the northwest corner, which I'm currently in, was built, as far as I can tell, by a German immigrant named Henry Koch. That's what all the old records show. And he was a uh, shoemaker and also a butcher. And what's strange about him is that he actually was sued by another butcher in Eudora. It's in the a, a newspaper article from Lawrence in 1868. They accused Henry Koch of being a, an illegal butcher, but he won the lawsuit. So I guess he was a legal butcher. But wow. I guess the other butcher in town wanted to try to squash his competition. But then in 1869, the building was sold to another German immigrant, a man named John A. Siebold. And we know quite a bit about him. He, he expanded the building quite a bit to its modern proportions. He was a tinsmith. He raised his family on the second story. He died very young at the age of 39. He fell from a roof he was tinning. Oh. And so he, he, then he had a wife and a widow and six kids after that. And they owned the building up until the 1890s. Uh, it was this building was the post office for a long time. For a long time, it was home to the Trebs family. They ran plumbing, uh, tin, and electrical businesses out of here. And then in the 80s, 1980s or 90s is pretty much when the last business moved out of here, and it just kind of sat vacant for about 30 years. And items collected inside, lots of, I would say, junk that we had to remove before we moved in. So building's the, history is really in the veins of Eudora. Yeah, it's it's certainly the story of different immigrant families, uh, which Eudora was an immigrant community. Ninety percent of all of the original people that moved to Eudora were German immigrants. And people in Eudora spoke German as their primary language up until the early 1900s. Wow. Church service 
and Eudora were delivered in German up until the 1930s. It really wasn't until the sunflower plant opened in the 1940s that Eudora no longer was kind of this uh, German predominant city. It became more diverse after that in the 1940s. Especially since World War II was was fighting Germany partially, right? Yeah, and there, during World War One, a lot of Germans in Eudora had to register as uh, enemy aliens. And then the building right across the street from us was owned by a man named Julius Lotz, and he was like an insurance agent. And his building in 1918 was vandalized with anti-German sayings. Supposedly, he wasn't patriotic enough. It's interesting. You can read about all of these things in the newspaper. Of course, he wrote a letter to the editor saying, I'm I'm a patriot. Whoever did this is, you know, a, a bigot, so forth. But, yeah, I think I think certainly in World War One, there was a definite anti-German feeling in most places in the U.S., including in Eudora. Wow. Ben, you certainly are an educator and a communicator. I'd like listeners to know about your wonderful videos on YouTube. I've watched a few so far, and they're very interesting. You did a tour of Church Street that was just great. Thanks for doing that. It really shows how Eudora just seeps history. And yeah, thanks. What yeah. do people go to? Where on YouTube? How can they find your videos? If you just search Eudora Community Museum, you'll come across our YouTube channel, which I've really only managed to build up since the pandemic hit. Uh, before the pandemic, I think we only had two videos on there. But since the pandemic hit, and it wasn't as easy for people to visit our museum, we put something like 20 or 30 videos on there, which includes tours that I've done, but also includes a lot of our programs, including some of our programs from the 1980s and 1990s. So in the last couple of years, we've tried to build up our YouTube channel as much as we could. And yeah, I think there's a lot of great tours and uh, programs on there now. Yeah, they're really nice. Hey, Ben, can you provide the audience with an overview of the communities you serve in the area, the variety of your membership and the mission and objectives of your society? Sure. Yeah, the community really is the Eudora area, which includes people in all of the different small towns. The city of Eudora itself is relatively suburban community today. There are lots of jobs in Eudora, and there's there's more jobs coming with the battery plant. But a lot of people in Eudora work in Kansas City or in Lawrence, and they they live in Eudora. They they raise their families in Eudora. Eudora has a very good school system. So we have a, a lot of young kids in Eudora. Eudora is a very young city with lots of young families. And that's primarily the community. Of course, our membership consists mostly of older people, people that have lived in Eudora their whole lives and various senior citizen groups is who our membership primarily consists of. But um, we, we also really do try to reach the young community as well. And our, our mission statement is basically just to collect, interpret, and preserve the history of the Eudora area, which includes all of these small communities that I mentioned earlier, Clearfield, Fall Leaf, Esper, Weaver, and Prairie Center. Can you tell our audience a little bit about your background, how you came to do what you do now? Sure. I've always liked history, basically, when I was a kid, and I knew I wanted a career in history or politics somehow. Uh, so when I went to University of Kansas, I, I was majoring in history and political science. And I spent a semester interning uh, at the Capitol in Topeka, and I decided, well, I like politics. I, I really don't want this to be my career. So at that point, I started to focus on the history. I, I was fortunate enough then to get into the Museum Studies program at KU, which is a master's program. 
So I started to uh, pursue that degree. I, I got my master's degree in 2011, which was the same year that I started working to the historical society. So, I mean, just from my basic love of history, I, I pursued this career. And then, of course, when I when I started this job, I realized there was a lot of other facets other than history, more administrative and nonprofit management that really doesn't relate to history. But fortunately, I've had the time to learn how to develop a lot of those other skills since I've since I've been here. I was 22, 22 years old when I was first hired to work with the Historical Society. I was just a kid and I'm 34 now, so I've been here a while. Wow, nice. I bet the community is really proud of what they built and especially in your leadership. What's coming up on the horizon for the Historical Society? Where is it headed next? Basically, we, we want to keep continuing to document people's stories. Uh, we had a program on the Sunflower Army Ammunition Plant last month, which was very well attended and popular. So that's one of our passionate areas is to try to get people to tell us their stories while they can, because unfortunately, a lot of people pass away without ever being recorded telling their stories. So we're real passionate about that. We've also been very active in trying to help rehabilitate our downtown district. Downtown Eudora was in pretty rough shape 10 years ago, but since then, about seven or eight buildings have been rehabilitated. We were the first and a lot of other people followed suit and we were real active in trying to help people with the research of their history of their buildings and then telling people how they could get the buildings listed on the state or national register so they could get tax credits. So we've been real passionate about advocating for the rehabilitation of these buildings. And of course, my number one goal is to redevelop our exhibit space to what I call a core exhibit, which would be a more chronological and thematic walk through the history of Eudora, which has been my number one priority for about a couple of years, but everything else seems to keep popping up. Yeah. But that's my hope, is that we will be able to revamp our exhibits so it's a more coherent story than what our exhibits currently are just devoted to different things. and They're just kind of in different places, but I would like a more thematic approach to our exhibit. That's my that's my goal for the future. I know you know, but I don't, and a lot of listeners probably don't. What goes into creating a new exhibit? Well, from my point of view, you want to decide on what stories you want to tell first. That's my own personal point of view, is that you want to decide what stories you want to tell. Mm -hmm. And then you try to find artifacts that complement those stories. Now, I suppose you could do it the other way. You could, you could get some artifacts and then tell a story around those artifacts, but I'm more interested in the stories that we want to tell and what, what we want people to walk away knowing. So we've, we've done a lot of research on the core exhibit so far. We've surveyed people to see what topics are interesting to them. I've done a lot of work researching and thinking about the construction of the core exhibit, how it's going to look. It's just a matter now of raising the money and doing it to tell the story of Eudora rather than just, okay, here's an old item. Here's another old item. You know, I, I'm more motivated by telling stories. Right. So that's what I'm, I'm interested in. Well, when I think about an exhibit, I think about you have to have some kind of a, a theme, like you're saying, but you also have to have the right lighting. You have to have the right artwork. You have yeah. to have safety, make sure that kids can view it. You know, there's just a whole lot that goes into that. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. There is. Wow. Well, I wish you luck on that. Well, thanks. I'm really sorry to interrupt, Ben, but it's time for our first break for a few minutes. Okay. All right, listeners, we'll be right back after these important messages.
introducing a totally grand experience. The Eudora Community Museum, home of the Eudora Area Historical Society, located at 720 Main Street, Eudora, Kansas, where wonderful exhibits take you on an amazing journey through the history of the Eudora area. Discover a world where the past patterns of Eudora area daily life are as fascinating as ever you knew, and it's all true. The Eudora Community Museum and Area Historical Society. Our legacy is yours. Call 785-690-7900 for more details, admissions, and hours. See you soon. It's time for Preservation Oaks Book Shorts. Book Shorts is a segment of the program where we quickly introduce listeners to authors and books which satisfy your love of history and genealogy, help you with your own research, and finally help you improve the depth and wisdom of your unique family story. On this installment of Book Shorts, we're very grateful to be joined by author Dr. Diane H.B. Welsh. Dr. Diane Welsh is the Hayes Distinguished Professor of Entrepreneurship and Founding Director of the Entrepreneurship Programs at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. She has a seriously long and impressive list of accomplishments, publications, and awards, which you can view at her author page at Amazon.com as a result of a search using your preferred search engine or at entrepreneurship.uncg.edu. Some of Dr. Welsh's books include Creative Cross-Disciplinary Entrepreneurship, A Practical Guide for Campus-Wide Program, Entrepreneurship 4th Edition, Case Studies in Global Entrepreneurship 3rd Edition, and her new book, Entrepreneurial Family Businesses, From Survival to Success, published by Kendall Hunt. The book uses storytelling techniques about Boyt Division Welsh sporting goods. This is Dr. Welsh's family business, which began in 1901. For me, the really interesting bits about this book are multifaceted. First of all, the Boyt Company was located in Iowa, and Dr. Welsh dedicated the book to the people of Iowa Falls. Secondly, there's a wealth of information in the book about the employees of the Boyt Company, which can be used by family historians. And finally, Dr. Welsh provides historical documents and records throughout the book in order to supply fact-based evidence. She discusses the creation, growth, and evolution of Boyt, which began in 1901 as a horse and animal equipment company. Later, Boyt Division Welsh Sporting Goods revolutionized the soft-sided luggage industry around the world. Dr. Welsh is generously donating her collection of Boyt Company documents to the Iowa Historical Society. The book is a comprehensive look at the impactful elements surrounding family business and entrepreneurship through time. The author shows practical applications and highlights cornerstones of a family business. As we discover our ancestors or we delve deeper to understand the past, many families had businesses. In this case, Boyt began in 1901, and so this is a source for those who want to understand what it took to be successful in a family business over time. It can give the reader new insights into their ancestors' lives who owned a business and can help a reader understand the history of our country when it came to running a family business. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Diane Welsh to discuss her book entitled Entrepreneurial Family Businesses from Survival to Success. All right, Dr. Welsh, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Can you please give listeners an overview of your book? Absolutely. The title of the book is Entrepreneurial Family Businesses, colon, 
from survival to success. And it's the story of my family business and a company called Boyt, B-O-Y-T, that originated in 1901 out of Des Moines, Iowa. And it was originally started by a couple of brothers that had training in making saddles and leather equipment. And it evolved over the years. But in 1964, my uncle and my dad then started Boyd Division Welsh Sporting Goods. The Boyd Company was one of the first examples of small manufacturing in the state of Iowa. And, you know, you study history and how people migrated across the United States to the West. Iowa was one of the first states they migrated to. And so it's a great example of manufacturing, how that business can be grown and nurtured. And it was very, very important, I think, to all the founders of the Boyd Company, as well as the generations then, that they relied on that Iowa workmanship. There was very many immigrants, there still are. And so in the book, I emphasize the fact-based evidence. And there's a lot of charts and dates and things that historians can really get into. There's also 120 documents that are pictures that go way back to 1901 to the early catalogs they can look at, as well as the items they manufactured over the years, as well as correspondence. So it's very historical on the growth of a small manufacturing company in Iowa. There is a lot of family history involved in this book for people that worked at Boyd. And actually, I'm going to donate my treasury of documents to the Iowa Historical Society so they have it. Oh, that's very gracious of you. Where can people get a copy of the book? They can go to the website, uh, Kendall Hunt. So they can get it at kendallhunt.com. They can also buy it at Amazon. Okay, fantastic. I'd like to thank you, Dr. Wells, for your time today and for your book. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I think knowing our roots is very important to all of us, and you're doing a great job with that. So thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much. Listeners, pick yourself up a copy of this book. It has historical and educational significance for those who thirst to learn more about those operating family businesses at the turn of the last century and beyond. Thank you, Dr. Welsh, for being a guest on Book Shorts. Good luck with your new book, Entrepreneurial Family Businesses from Survival to Success. Thank you very much. If you're a historical or genealogical society listening to Preservation Oaks and you'd like to be a guest on the program, please email preservationoaks at gmail.com. Thank you. And now, back to Preservation Oaks. Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Thomas Radcliffe, and we're here today with Ben Terwilliger, the Executive Director of the Eudora Area Historical Society and Museum, located in Eudora, Kansas. Let's pick up where we left off, but very quickly, I'd like to give the contact information of the Society. You can reach them at their website at www.cityofudoraks.gov backslash 100 backslash Eudora dash community dash museum. They're on Facebook as the Eudora Area Historical Society. 
They're located at 720 Main Street in Eudora, Kansas, 66025, and you can call them at 785-690-7900. Their hours are Tuesday through Saturday, 12 o'clock to 5 o'clock, and if you'd like a tour, please call. You can email them at eudorahistory at gmail.com. And if you'd like to know more about Eudora's history, you can go to the website eudorakshistory.com. And with that information mentioned, I'd like to say welcome back, Ben. Thank you. Thank you for providing our contact information. Sure. Can you tell us a couple of funny or interesting stories from your society's history? One thing that I think is a little funny is that I tell people that I think one of the most important historical buildings in the Eudora area is currently a strip club it's called the Outhouse. Now, today it is a BYOB, which means a bring your own booze strip club. But before it was a strip club, it was a music venue called The Outhouse. And in the 1980s and 1990s, when The Outhouse was in operation, it was one of the premier alternative music venues in the Midwest. A lot of very notable bands played there before they got famous, including Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, just an amazing set of acts. And it was kind of a lawless place. Basically, uh, I don't think the police went out there. They just kind of left it alone. It was pretty rowdy. There was lots of fights, lots of drinking. Of course, you know, as you may imagine, the neighbors absolutely hated the place and resented it. And they tried to shut it down, but they didn't seem to be able to shut it down. But I, I think the fact that Nirvana, which is, in my opinion, the greatest band in American history, actually played a show in the Eudora Township, wow. makes that one of our most important buildings. So people kind of look at me funny when I say a, a strip club is one of our most historical buildings. I'm not saying it's the most historical building. I'm saying it's one of the most historical buildings. Right. Wow, that's very cool. So what kinds of exhibits are on display at the museum? Basically anything relating to the history of the Eudora area. You know, we have lots of little exhibits about any topic you can imagine that relates to the Eudora area. That's our focus here, including the Civil War era, the Bleeding Kansas era in Eudora, the sunflower plant in Eudora, which is a huge part of our history. And basically just, you know, local schools, local churches. We have a new exhibit on the Benny Israel Jewish Cemetery which is in the Eudora Township. Some of the early families that settled Eudora were German were German Catholics, German Protestants, and German Jews. There were several German Jewish families in Eudora, so many that they actually were given their own cemetery, which mm. is the Benny Israel Cemetery, which still exists. Today, it's on the National Register. I think there's only a handful of cemeteries in Kansas on the National Register, so it's quite a rare honor. And the history of it dates back to 1858, there really isn't much of a Jewish community in Eudora anymore, but thankfully the Lawrence Jewish Community Center has assumed ownership of that cemetery and they maintain it and it's still an active burial site. And of course, Eudora also had a large black community as well in the 19th century. Okay. In, 18, in 1870, like 25% of the Eudora area were black. Most of them were recently freed slaves from Missouri. And they came over here, and most of them worked as laborers and as tent farmers. We have the property maps. I don't think many black families owned property at that time. You know, they're just coming out of slavery. They really didn't have anything. They had to work very hard. There were enough black people in Eudora that Eudora had three black churches, as well as a black cemetery. The city of Eudora segregated its cemeteries once black people started to move in. And in the 20th century, the black community gradually started to move away which was part of the Great Migration, which saw 
black families in rural settings move into urban cities for better paying jobs. So today, Eudora has a very small black community. But historically speaking, you know, I think Eudora's black community is very important. And we try to tell their story at the museum. Yep. And we've had an ex- Eudora's black community. So that's, I think, a very important part of our history. Absolutely. Do you have any collections exhibited anywhere else in the area, like the local airport, the city hall, that kind of thing? No, everything we have is under one roof now at our museum. Okay. What kind of funding model supports the society, and what are your funding goals for this year? The Historical Society itself is a 501c3, and it is completely supported by donations. Thankfully, because we own our building, we don't pay taxes. We have a very small annual budget maybe five or $6,000 just to pay for the, the basic operation of the museum, which that's all supported by donations. And then I'm an employee of the city of Eudora. And most of my salary comes from the city, but part of it also comes from Douglas County. So the historical society doesn't have to worry about paying me because I work for the city. And of course, I'm very grateful that the city of Eudora had the foresight to make this a priority to fund our museum and to celebrate our history. Absolutely. And so thankfully, I think we're relatively fiscally stable. But of course, we raise then money for projects, which our most notable project was to rehabilitate our building, which we had to raise a lot of money for. And I think then the next project is still the core exhibit, which we're raising funding for. And so we're, we're, we're hoping to get some more private donations so we can start to build that. And of course, we've also, I, I mean, I don't know how many grants I've written. We, we've been able to get a lot of grants as well, which is significantly helped us, you know, including a $100,000 grant from the Douglas County Heritage Conservation Council to build our rear addition, which also has an elevator in it. So we can actually go to the second story. Before we had this addition built, we couldn't get up up to our second story without walking around the building. So now we can do it while in the building. So that was a very, that's probably the biggest grant we got. I think that was actually an $89,000 grant from the, from the uh, Heritage Council. So, yeah. Are you on Amazon Smile at all? We are, yeah. I, I think we've raised about $110 from Amazon Smile donations. So you can make you can make us your charity of choice on Amazon Smile. And I think 0.05% of all of purchases then that you make on Amazon Smile would go to us. And that is one, one way that you could help us out. And we also have a PayPal on our website oh, good. as well, if people are interested in that way. Of course, most of our membership dues still come in the mail through checks. That's our primary source of revenue for, to keep our operations going. Okay, great. And how much is a membership? $10. Oh, that's, that's a steal for yeah, what you're we, providing to the community? Oh, yeah, that's great. When I first started, it was $6. And, of course, we get lots of lifetime memberships as well. A lifetime membership is $200. I think we have something like 75 life members right now. That's a steal as well. Wow. Yeah. For what you're providing to the community and the, and especially the fabric of history being passed on to the children. That is amazing. Yeah, I think so. It's a good deal. Apart from your donations and that kind of thing, what kind of fundraising activities or opportunities does the society support and offer? Generally, anytime there was some kind of a need for funding, I, I would just write a letter uh, to our membership and, you know, thousands of dollars would pour in if, if they thought it was a good cause, which, you know, we, the two causes we really did that for were to help rehab our building in 2013. And then in 2019, we needed a lot of money 
to help fix the back part of our, our, our back parking lot. And several thousand dollars came in that way. We've done a couple of other fundraisers in the past. We do, uh, obviously, we, make, we have a little museum store where people can buy various items. I've found that the absolute easiest thing to do is just ask people for money. Right. That way, put in a lot of legwork. And, you know, sometimes you put in so much effort organizing a fundraiser that it's not even worth it. But thankfully, we have a pretty generous membership and non-members as well. So typically, I just ask people if they want to give us money. And a lot of times they say yes. So what kind of outreach and education does your society undertake within the community? You mentioned, you know, 20, I think you mentioned 2,500 school children. I think that's about what we've gotten. I keep track of it. We've had kids in here for field trips ever since 2012. We, we've had the seventh grade students in for, for field trips most years. They, uh, they cover local Kansas history in their classrooms, so they come in here to learn more about that. And then third graders also learn about local history, so we usually get them in here. I think we've had third graders come to visit us since 2013 every year, and they, they get a walking tour of downtown Eudora as well as a scavenger hunt activity inside the museum. Oh, that's cool. This summer, for the first time, we offered walking tours of Church Street for the, uh, I guess, the Eudora School District started something called the Summer Academy. And I also did what I call an artifact analysis activity with the students where they get to touch and feel and smell even some of these artifacts to get a better sense of history. They're what we call handling artifacts. Sometimes we just go out and buy them. They're, they're items that if they get broken, it's not the end of the world because they're not, you know, but it's just it's a way for them to be able to touch and, and feel and, and get a better sense of history. And then we've also done a wax museum project with the fourth grade students. And I hope to do that again this year where uh, they, they actually dress up as different historical, the students dress up as different historical Eudora figures. And they learn their history, and they and then at a program for their parents, they, you know, they say, my name is Eudora Fish, and, you know, this is my story. So we, we've had that opportunity as well. And, and thankfully, we've always had some well-attended and popular programs. We host six programs a year Okay. in the odd months on the third Thursday. And so we usually get uh, anywhere from 50 to 80 people at our public programs, which is another outreach we do. And then, of course, our social media is very active. We make usually a couple posts per week. I think we have over 4,000 followers now on Facebook. And then we also have maybe 500 on Twitter and 500 on Instagram. And so we've been able to reach a lot of people through our social media, people that necessarily haven't had the chance to come into our museum, but they can still at least learn about the history of Eudora. Now, I'm going to start calling you Mr. History because you have just such a wealth of information in your mind. Um, there's something in the town, or maybe it's in the county, I don't know, called the Central Protection Agency. Yes. And there's an annual picnic for that. What is that agency today, and, and what has it evolved into over the years? I think it's technically called the Central Protective Association. I may have, uh, online, I may have mislabeled it at some point. But okay. I, we recently got the actual starting documents, the Constitution for it, and I think it's the Central Protective Association. A lot of people, for some reason, call it the Cattlemen's Protective Agency, which I don't know how that got started, but uh, it's also not certified public accountants. It's Central <laughs> Protective Association. Yeah. And in 1901, a CPA lodge was organized here in Eudora, and it was basically what I 
call an anti-horse thief organization. As you can imagine, small towns like Eudora didn't have much of a law presence at that time. They had maybe one one officer of the peace, you know, and it wasn't a very common thing to have lots of police back then. And so horse thieves, as you might imagine, was were a big problem. Horses were worth a lot of money and, you know, they were just easy for the taking for a lot of people. And so the CPA Lodge would band together to apprehend horse thieves or alleged horse thieves. I guess you could kind of call it a vigilante group of sorts, but I, I don't know if they ever got too carried away. I think usually they just arrest the person and then bring them to jail. They wouldn't dole out the justice themselves. I don't think in every instance. But So anyway, in, this, in, in 1901, the CPA Lodge and its members and its family started to meet for a picnic. And we can carry that has been carried on almost every year since 1901. The CPA still goes on at what we call the CPA Park in downtown Eudora. Today, it's a, it's a carnival as well as a variety of other activities for people. And I think it's our oldest tradition. And there's some new young leadership right now that are on the CPA committee. And so I think they're breathing some new life into the organization as well. So the CPA still exists. It's still an official organization. They no longer apprehend horse thieves, but they do put on a picnic. That's their primary focus now. Wow, that is so cool. That's so cool that that tradition has lasted, too. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, it's a very important uh, event for a lot of people in town. So thankfully, they've been able to carry the tradition on. Wow. Are you still doing the annual trunk or treat? That goes on as well. Usually the last Saturday of October. Uh, we usually hand out maybe a thousand pieces of candy for that, which is great. And of course, all the kids recognize me from field trips. So that's nice to be able to see them as well. Oh, yeah. See how they're growing up. Yeah. You guys, uh, does the society publish a newsletter? We put out a newsletter via paper, you know, an actual physical copy of it every January. I also send out a digital newsletter once a month, on, which is only available through email. If you get put on our emailing list to get my newsletters, I like to keep people up to date. And so we, we put that out about once a month. Yeah, that's great. You got to keep the community informed about the progress in, in achieving the mission and your goals. That's very cool. And you've recently had something you mentioned with the Sunflower Ammunition Plant. Yeah, the, uh, the sunflower plant opened just east of Eudora in 1942 during World War II. They, there was a tremendous need for powders and propellants, and they decided to open a plant just east of Eudora. And the plant employed 12,000 people in World War II, and all of these people needed places to live. And a lot of them moved to Eudora. The population of Eudora went from 600 to 2,000. Of course, Eudora had an extreme housing shortage. People were living and any shelter they could find, they were living in garages and chicken coops and basements and tents. So all the city resources were stretched to their limits, but the community managed to make it work. And they opened more classrooms. They increased their water, increased their electricity, and they were able to make it work. And a lot of those families that moved up here to work at the plant stayed in Eudora, and they became permanent members of the community. And the Sunflower plant operated on and off until 1992 in just about anyone over the age of 60 in Eudora either worked at the plant or their siblings worked at the plant or their spouse worked at the plant. It just employed so many people over such a long period of time that it's such a huge part of our history. And this year is the 80th anniversary of when construction started on the plant. So I decided that our pro programming theme this year would be about the sunflower plant. And in July, we had a lot of people share with us some of their stories of working at the plant. And 
we have we didn't even get to everyone so we're probably going to do another program on that either in november or sometime in 2023 so we can document as many stories on the plan as we can and then of course recently the plans in the news because uh, panasonic is going to build a new battery plant at that site which that'll be the first time in 30 years that that property is being used because it's just sat vacant since the plant closed and so a lot of people are excited about the opportunities that will come from the Panasonic plant, which I think will help our economy quite a bit. Well, that's great. Are you talking batteries like C-type AAA kind of batteries or car batteries? Or and My understanding is it's car batteries that are primarily used in Tesla cars. That's my understanding. Oh, very cool. The future, huh? Yeah. So what kinds of libraries or research centers or, or archives you know, does the society manage or care for? We have a pretty extensive archival collection relating to any topic in Eudora's history. We have a historical files cabinet. We have a genealogy cabinet. We have just about every Eudora newspaper that was ever published, which the public is free to look at and use. We also have a research library, which contains every book that was ever written about Eudora, as well as most yearbooks. We also then have a laptop, which we let the public use if they want to research about their ancestors on Ancestry.com or newspapers.com. Thankfully, a lot of the old Eudora newspapers were put on newspapers.com, so we can read quite a bit about the history of Eudora on newspapers.com. So yeah, we, we're, we're frequently used as a researched institution. We get professors that'll come in researching various topics, and we get authors that are writing books. We had an author write a book on various CPA lodges that spent a lot of time looking through our CPA collections. And then also we get a lot of people that just want to research their family history. The stuff they can't find online, we'll, we'll, we'll typically have something in our collection. Absolutely. You know, and our, our collections are just what people have given us over the years. You know, Different people have given us different things and they've given us so much that it's a pretty extensive collection. Yeah. And it's cool that you're keeping it all safe. Absolutely. Yep. Now, I, I read online that you've installed uh, the Historical Society has installed bronze plaques throughout Eudora? Yeah, that, that is true. Back in 2012, we put on about 13 bronze plaques, I believe. And now we put on another eight. So there's 21 bronze plaques on different buildings. Most of them are on uh, Main Street. There's a couple on Church Street. And basically, these plaques just give a concise history of each building. So we also... Uh, encourage people to do walking tours. You know, you can come here anytime, even after the museum's closed or on a day we're not open. And you can still learn a lot about the history of Eudora just by looking at these bronze plaques on all of these buildings. And we, we were real fortunate to get funding from the, the Douglas County Historical Conservation Council to make these bronze plaques. And I think they look great. I mean, they tell a lot of important history on them. I bet the people really love them and especially the people that support the Historical Society. Yeah, I see people reading them every day. <laughs> you mentioned the, the records and historical artifacts the society has received in donations from the public. Do you have a strategy for digitization of documents and photos? It's a very gradual process. We have quite a bit of our collections that have been digitized, but we, you know, just the tip of the iceberg, where there, there are so many thousands of pictures and documents to, to digitize. And at this point, they're only on the museum's computer system. They're not online. So that's why a lot of people are still compelled to come to our museum to see what we have in person. 
that is another one of my long-term goals to try to get everything digitized, but other projects seem to always pop up. So eventually maybe people will be able to use this as an online research center. But just this morning, the, a gentleman emailed me asking if I could send him our sunflower plant-related artifacts. I said, we got thousands of them. There's just no way I could send you them. Uh, you know, I'd encourage you to come visit in person to see what we have, which is, we have a pretty extensive sunflower plant collection as well. It will get there eventually. It's a very slow process for us at this point. If we get another staff person, we could probably move a lot quicker. It's a, it's a gradual process for us. So when you say if we get another staff person, do you mean a volunteer? A volunteer would be nice. If anyone does want to help us digitize our collection, that would be very helpful. And I do spend a lot of my time organizing the collection. Our collection is now a hundred times more organized than it was when I started. It's not just me. We've had volunteers do it. We've had other interns work with us do it. We've had the KU Museum Studies Program students did it. First thing I did was write a collections policy because we didn't have one before I started working with us. So consequently, the Historical Society basically accepted anything and everything. So we had a lot of stuff that were in no relation to the history of Eudora or our mission statement. Yeah. So the good thing about a collections policy is it kind of narrows our focus a bit. And then, you know, if someone brings us something like a National Geographic magazine from 1980, we can tell them, well, thanks for thinking of us, but it's not part of our collection. or That's not what we focus on in here because space does become valuable. We only have so much space. So uh, we've been able to focus our collections a bit. Today, you can actually look through what we have, when I first started, basically everything was just in piles. And so now we actually have cabinets where you can look through things in a well-organized library. It's, nice. it's, we're much better than we were, but there's still a long way to go. And those artifacts are much better cared for now than they were then. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because we have climate controls and we don't have any mice infesting the place. So. Yeah, that's very <laughs> important. Wow. So how many artifacts would you say are in the collection of the society now? Oh, I don't know. Thousands. I mean, I think about 70% of our artifacts are on display. We don't have a ton of artifacts in storage. And then basically every important artifact is on display. And frankly, in my opinion, we probably have too many artifacts on display. So if I were to ever have the chance to redo our core exhibit, I would probably put a lot of artifacts in storage and then maybe bring them out for rotating exhibits. But I, I don't think we need quite so much. I think it kind of overloads the senses. We have so many things. Yeah. Some people really that. Some people want to go to a museum and they want to see everything there. They want to see different objects. Other people, you know, don't like that. They just want to read a story. So I, I would prefer to focus on stories and then maybe bring our exhibit or our artifacts out for rotating exhibits. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So. In terms of volunteers, what kinds of opportunities does the society have for members and the public? We'll take any kind of volunteer there is, particularly if they want to help us out with uh, uh, organizing fundraisers and just coming up with ideas and so forth. You know, we, we could use more input on how to uh, proceed with different activities if they want to come up with new activities for us to do. Uh, certainly, they could help us organize our collections. They we always need help cleaning. You know, I clean the museum and it's part of my job and I'm happy to do it. But if someone wanted to do that, they could. Of course, the overwhelming majority of the volunteer labor we've had since I've been here was rehabilitating our building. And those were well-qualified volunteers that are expert craftsmen. So we've we've had more volunteer labor than just about anyone, I would imagine. Just the sheer volume of people and time they spent rehabilitating our building. 
So we don't have any need for that anymore, but now it's more of uh, in relation to our activities and our uh, collections that we could use help right, with. Right. Yeah. Basically, I want to revamp our whole exhibit space. We, we could probably write a new exhibit or two, but I, I prefer to focus on redoing the entire space into a more coherent exhibit on the history of Eudora. Okay. What would you One, do? Like a, you walk in and then there's a timeline that you walk through from the earliest days to today? I don't know if it'd be a strict timeline. It might just be arranged thematically. And yeah, first thing I'd want to talk about are the Native American tribes that lived here. The history of Eudora didn't start in 1857 when started the place. I want to talk about the the Native tribes. Native tribes have lived in Northeast Kansas for 9,000 years. So I would certainly like to discuss the Kansas tribe and the Shawnee and Delaware tribes who lived here before this was opened up to American settlement. And yeah, then talk about the various topics in a thematic or chronological approach. Are people still finding Indian artifacts in the area? Not that I'm aware of. We, we have a small collection of arrowheads and beads that were found just north of Eudora. I mean, I'm sure there's thousands of arrowheads out there to be discovered, but only a few of them have been brought to us. I'm sure they're out there, though. So are the volunteers that you get today mostly from the the local area, or do you get volunteers from Kansas City and, and maybe Lawrence? I guess it varies. I, I would say most of them are from Eudora, but then also... We've had a lot of interns help me out over the years uh, from KU. So that's another sort of being in such close proximity to oh, yeah. university really helped us out. I mean, that's how I got started here. You know, I was a student at KU and the city of Eudora had the foresight to talk to KU and mention this internship with the Historical Society. And then my professor told me about it and that's how I got the job. So since I'm a product of KU, we've had a very close relationship with the KU Museum Studies Department since I've been here. Yeah, that's good. That's very good. We have to take our second break, Ben. Yeah. So for a few minutes, listeners, we'll be offline and we'll be right back and pick up where we left off after a short break. Historical Society. For close to 50 years, the Society's mission has been to preserve and maintain the history of the city and township of Eudora and the surrounding communities of Clearfield, Fall Leaf, Hesper, Prairie Center, and Weaver. Learn more about your society at www.cityofudoraks.gov backslash 100 backslash Eudora dash community dash museum or by visiting the Facebook page at Eudora Community Museum or call 785-690-7900 for more details, admissions, and hours. By all means join and support them in accomplishing the mission. This is Sandra Clem Leininger, the president of Union County Genealogy Society, and I love listening to Sean Thomas Radcliffe on MicroStream Radio. I'd like to talk about volunteering, especially as a way to help your growing family. As we all know, there are a million things to accomplish and only 24 hours a day to do so. 
Many people have no idea how to find time to commit to their local museum, cultural, historical, or genealogical society. But it's a valuable investment in the community and your family on many levels and something that you'll need to make work to realize the benefits. Why does it matter to you personally to get involved in your community? Well, if you're a business leader, it's important to keep your finger on the pulse of the local business community. By doing so, you not only do your part to support local causes, but also stay aware of opportunities to grow your company. While there are a variety of ways to accomplish this, including social media, newspapers, television, social circles and networking, there is no better way than to build relationships by engaging yourself in these valuable organizations within the community. However, if you're raising a family and seeking to train your kids in the life lesson, quote, to do well for your community by doing good, unquote, then it's imperative to immerse yourself and your family in helping the community and having fun while doing so. Maybe you've wondered, how can I volunteer in my community, but still have a lot of fun? If so, being a volunteer at a museum, cultural, historical, or genealogical society could be for you. You'll find great opportunities to work with children in order to pass on knowledge and history. Not only do you get to teach the next generation of kids some valuable life skills and information, but you also get to enjoy the activities while teaching them. Volunteers typically help guide visitors, answer questions, answer phones, perform research, help file, work with children, and a huge number of other things that keep the society running smoothly. You also get to attend the events and learn more about your community so that you can pass this on to your family and friends. Your family will get a sense of belonging, a sense of place. For those who say they don't have time to volunteer, time is secondary. People with a family and other obligations can generally give just a few hours a week. You don't have to volunteer for hours and hours of time. You can start by micro-volunteering with a shift between one to two hours. These societies host a variety of fun activities to bring members and non-members together. These organizations are non-profit organizations, meaning that they have very few staff members on the payroll and rely on volunteers to assist with the rest of their activities. There are always things to do, and if you strike up a conversation with any of them, they'll be happy to help you find something that you will love doing and that helps your family and community. It's an exalted feeling to volunteer your talent, plus the people you spend your time with and the experiences you gain are invaluable. There are literally thousands of people from all walks of life who volunteer their time, energy and resources to museums, cultural, historical and genealogical societies all across the country. If you enjoy books and quiet, the research library is the perfect place for you to volunteer. You will get to organize books and perform research tasks to help others document their lineage. You can be involved in digitizing records and photographs. You can enter records into a database or help the curator. These societies can offer many different activities for you to engage and help by doing something you love. Museums, cultural, historical, and genealogical societies generally work closely with community members, schools, and businesses. They often host events and fundraisers to bring information to the public and improve the success of the area. You can help improve your community by giving back to these organizations that make your community a better place to live. One of the most beneficial and perhaps underrated perks of starting your volunteer journey is the example it sets for those around you. Within your circle, volunteering is phenomenal for the wellness of your community, as you're demonstrating that helping is a core value. From your family members and friends to anyone else in your circle, your efforts to make the time and commit to your community won't go unnoticed.
They will set a positive tone in your circle and instill a sense of direction throughout their lives because they will be at the heart of the community. Please consider volunteering with your family today. You'll be glad you did. Buckle up for safety, buckle up. Buckle up for safety, always buckle up. Pull your seatbelt snug, give an extra tuck. Buckle up for safety, buckle up. Buckle up for safety, buckle up. Buckle up for safety, always buckle up. The National Safety Council says if you don't have seatbelts, get them. If you do have seatbelts, use them. In my first life, I was owned by a business, and a seamstress named Peggy used me every day, all day, and I worked like crazy for Peggy. Then the business closed, and I was inherited by the Webster family, and I worked like a couple of times a month, mostly for patching, but sometimes making dresses. Then, I was put in the basement, replaced by a newer model that used electricity. I lay there for years, collecting dust. They sat boxes on me. Finally, they pulled me out of there, and then the scariest thing in my existence happened, they had a discussion about throwing me away. You know, into the trash. Luckily for me they decided to sell me at a garage sale, and I went to March. Finally, she donated me to the local historical society. They cataloged me, shined me up, oiled me, and made sure all my parts worked like new. Now, I'm on display for the community to see every day, and they, marvel at the way I work. It took a long time, but I feel so proud that I can help others understand, the past, which I guess I'm now a part of. Rather than throwing it out, please donate historical records and objects to your local historical society, today. And now, back to Preservation Oak. Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. We're here today with Ben Terwilliger, the Executive Director of the Eudora Area Historical Society and Museum, located in Eudora, Kansas. Ben, we've really learned a lot, and it's been great. Thank you for the information you provided to our audience about your society. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Hey, how does the society interface with state and county, regional, like other societies in the area? We have a very close relationship with just about every other historical society in Douglas County. Now, the main, I guess, historical society in Douglas County is the Douglas County Historical Society, and they maintain the Watkins Museum. And they have a lot more money. They have a lot more staff. Uh, and thankfully, they've used that to help unite us all better. Steve Novak, the director at the Watkins Museum, started at about the same time I did. And he has been just excellent at uniting all of these different historical societies, and he manages to get funding opportunities for us and offers us help. So thanks to his leadership, we've been able to really collaborate better. I mean, before I started here, I think there was some resentment between different, maybe just in Eudora, people in Eudora had some resentments against Lawrence because they thought Lawrence got all the attention and money. But all of that is a thing of the past now because we're all working really close together. And of course, I'm really close with Douglas County as well as the city of Eudora because they've given us so much over the years and I'm 
thankful that Douglas County and the city of York really care about their history. So we've, we've managed to be really close with all of the other uh, historical societies here. Well, that's great. And do you at all exchange artifacts? We, yeah, we, we've done a few. The, uh, the Watkins Museum very generously has given us, donated to us a lot of the Eudora-related artifacts. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, before we had a museum of our own, a lot of the Eudora stuff ended up at the Watkins Museum, oh. including the original deed to Eudora. Oh, but yeah. the Watkins Museum was kind enough to get those items back to us once we had established a museum and once I started working here. So we've been able to to house a lot more things thanks to the generous donations from the Watkins Museum. I want to back up for a second. You You mentioned the original deed to Eudora. Now, you had said that Eudora, the land around Eudora, was purchased from an Indian. Yes, uh, it was purchased from Pascal Fish, who was a, a chief in the Shawnee tribe of Kansas. And he did, he sold his land to a German immigrant company in 1857. And then we have the original deed, which was actually signed on February 14th, 1860, in which Pascal Fish signed it. And then Charles Durr and Lois Fife, who are members of the German immigrant community, also signed it. My goodness. Wow. And when I when I first started here, no one seemed to know where the deed was. So I uh, went on kind of a wild goose chase trying to find the deed. And people were saying it was in the Durr family still. So I called every Durr family person I knew. No one knew. And then the last person told me, oh, it's at the Watkins Museum. So thankfully, it was right under my nose the whole time. And we were able to get it. So if our building was on fire, and I can only save two things, one of the things I'd save is the deed. And the other thing I would save is the only known photograph of the namesake of our community, Eudora Fish, which we have a tintype photo of Eudora Fish oh as a young. Gosh. Oh, I bet that's cool. I didn't see that on the Facebook page. Maybe I missed it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's on there somewhere, but we got so much to look through. It's probably easy to miss. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you also have a statue in the town to Pascal and Eudora. That is correct. We, we built that for our sesquicentennial in 2007. Uh, it was made by a a local artist named Jim Brothers, who's quite renowned in the area, and they debuted it when Eudora turned 150. It's one of the sources of pride here in, in our town that we have this beautiful monument to these important figures in our history. Do you know how many communities I've talked with who don't have any of that? That is just amazing. Wow. Yeah, we're fortunate. People in Eudora have always been passionate about preserving history, so it's made it uh, relatively easy to, to celebrate our history no through kidding. statues, museums. Are you in contact with any of the tribes in the area? I think you mentioned that. Well, we I've had some contact with members of the Shawnee tribe from many years ago. There was one of the last Shawnee chiefs that still lived in Kansas, Bertha Cameron, was a friend of mine. Of course, in about 1870, the, the government kicked out all the remaining Native Americans in Kansas, including Pascal Fish, and he moved them all down to the Oklahoma to new reservation lands down there. Of course, some of them stayed, and so I've known some of them were the descendants of those that stayed. We also, I reached out to Ben Barnes, who's the chief of the Shawnee tribe, and I reached out to him, and he said he'd be interested in coming to visit us sometime. So I, I would like to reestablish some connections to that. And of course, we've had uh, connections to Eudora Fish's descendants as well over the years. So we've been able to keep in, in touch with the Shawnee tribe, uh, even though they were kicked out of here 150 years ago. My goodness, that's so interesting. I hope those building bridges work for the community. That's great. 
Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that your historical society, when it was first started, people that started it wrote books. Mm-hmm. And so what kinds of interesting books has your society published? We have little books relating to just about every topic in the history of Eudora, including the CPA picnic, Wantrell's raid in Eudora, different churches, different businesses. There's been three books published on the history of Eudora. The first one was in 1957. The second one was in 1976. And the third one was in 2007. So we have copies of all of those books in our collection as well. Fantastic. Are those available to the general public? Can anybody buy a copy or are they limited to members? No, we have copies of just about any any of those different books. And we have so many that I just give them away sometimes. But they're very low priced. Okay, fantastic. Eudora is, is just steeped with history. So what's the easiest method for members of the public to donate to the society? Probably through PayPal, through our website. If you just Google Eudora Area Historical Society, that comes up. Of course, PayPal takes a little bit of it from us, you know, like 3% or something. So the other option would be to just write us a check would be our second preferred option to Eudora Area Historical Society, P.O. Box 158, Eudora, Kansas 66025. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for that. When we had COVID around, And lots of places were under lockdown. I don't know if your society or your community was under lockdown for any amount of time. But during that time period, many historical societies, genealogical societies had to move more to virtual events, working from home, and so on and so forth. How is your society incorporating the realities of our modern society into community outreach, museum exhibits, publications, and the records the society gathers and archives? I think, uh, yes, we did go under lockdown for at least a couple months when COVID uh, first hit. And that really did give me the opportunity to try to move a lot of our activities online, which I did on our YouTube page, as I mentioned earlier. Our YouTube page grew exponentially as a result of the pandemics. I was cognizant of the fact people can't come in and learn about us, so we brought it online. And of course, we made even more social media posts during that time. And we had online programs, I think, for about a year, year and a half. And we started to have in-person programs again about a year ago. So essentially today, we're, we're operating as we always have been, but we have more online resources now than we did before the pandemic. Okay, that's very cool. Can you tell the audience about any current initiatives or needs of the society that you want the people of your area to know about and support? I would say that what I would like to get now more than anything are just different artifacts, different archives that relate to the history of the Eudora. If you have stories to tell, if you wanted to type those stories up or bring them to us, or you wanted to come in in person, I could video record you saying those things. So yeah, our two biggest needs are money and uh, items, artifacts, archives, stories. Okay. Do you do any oral histories within the community or within the historical society? Yeah, quite a few. I I don't know how many. I've done dozens since I've been here. I don't know how many, but that's been a focus of mine. And of course, a lot of the people we recorded have since passed away. So we were grateful to be able to get their stories before they passed away. So every year we get a few. It's sometimes hard to convince people to talk on camera. That's been a struggle. But thankfully, a lot of people are willing to overcome their shyness and and tell us these stories because it's really important. Yeah. Do you encourage members to work with their folks that are still alive, their grandparents and so on, to to record those? 
yes, a lot of people have done that. The great thing a lot of people also have done is say when their parents die, they they look through their collections and they give us some relevant materials before the estate sale happens. Uh, That's happened, I don't know, maybe a dozen times where a person died or a couple died and they're going to have a huge estate sale. But the the surviving family members invite us to look through the collections ahead of time or they bring us stuff. We're very grateful that people would, would do that instead of just selling something. So it leaves us forever, potentially. You know, we, we have an opportunity to get it into our museum. There was a gentleman named Leonard Holman. Uh, he died in 2016. And I, I think almost 30% of our artifacts come from him. He was just a prolific collector. And, you know, a month or two before he died, he just gave us everything. And then after he passed away, his brother, Ernie Holman, allowed us to just take whatever we wanted from the uh, from his collections before the estate sale. So we've been real fortunate that a lot of very generous people have been able to give stuff to us rather than, you know, just sell it. You know, they, they're losing out on a little bit of money, but they're they're greatly contributing to our museum's collections, which, you know, people will be able to enjoy for generations to come. So we're very grateful for all the generous people out there that have given us all of our different items. Yeah, that's amazing. What support? That's great. Ben, why is the society important to the community? What makes your society different or unique from others? I think a lot of people in Eudora have a lot of interest in their community's history, and they have a lot of pride in their community's history. So that's made it relatively easy for us to have a a wide audience because people are interested. And then the fact that so many people have come together to make the historical society what it is, that we have a wealth of knowledge and we have the means to share it to people. And so people are able to easily view it and, and learn about it. And I don't know if we're that different from any other historical society. We're probably more active than many, but I'm sure there's others that are more active than us. I think there's a lot of comparability to us and the other historical societies in Douglas County. A lot of us are about the same size. I have about the same membership base, and that's why we work so well together. That's great. What's the benefit to membership? Why should I join the society? You get to have the knowledge that you're protecting our history, but also we do give the public a lot. We we put on six programs per year for free. We put on our newsletters out for free. We we have our museum open to the public for free. You know, we don't charge for anything. So people are getting a lot of free items for a membership to do. A lot of benefit then. Correct. That's great. Do you guys do consulting or genealogical research services for people? Yes, I do a lot of research for people. I you know, we don't I don't we don't make money for it. We don't do it on top of it. You know, if it's reasonable, if, if I can do it within an hour or so, I mean, I do tell people if they have an extensive project, they should probably come in and do it because I don't have the, wouldn't be fair right. for me to my whole day working on something. But usually it, don't, it only takes me a few minutes and I can look up something and I can email it to them or I can show them in person. And no, we don't, we don't charge for that. Sometimes people will, will give us money many times when we do that, but it's not a requirement. It's not about the money for us. It's about teaching people the history of the Eudora area. Okay, fantastic. So you have a lot of different contact methods. So you've got your website and you've got Facebook and, and you've got a phone number and you've got an email address. What's the best way for people to connect with someone in the society if they have questions or they want to donate? Probably email. And our email address is eudorahistory at gmail.com. Okay, fantastic. And I want to give the rest of the contact information as well. You can go to www.cityofudoraks.gov 
backslash 100 backslash eudora-community-museum. You can find the, the Historical Society as Eudora Area Historical Society on Facebook. Their address is 720 Main Street, Eudora, Kansas, 66025. You can phone them at 785-690-7900. Their hours are Tuesday through Saturday, 12 o'clock to 5 o'clock. And if you'd like a tour, please call and schedule that. And as Ben said, the email is eudorahistory at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to know more about Eudora's history, you can go to the website eudorakshistory.com. Thank you, Ben, for that. Yeah, thank you. Is there any other information or message you'd like the community or members to know about and support? I just like to tell people that this is your museum. This museum belongs to the entire community. So everyone should feel welcome to come here. Everyone should be welcome to use what resources we have. And everyone is welcome to give us the artifacts and archives if they're so interested. I tell all the kids that come in here, you know, this, this is your museum. This belongs to you. It belongs to the whole community. So I want people to know that. I want people to know that this is their museum. And the only reason we exist is for them. We want to give the public the knowledge about their hometown. That's the only reason we exist. This museum belongs to everyone. Yeah, that's a great message. Thank you. Yeah. And reflecting just a bit, how do you think your members and the community and your volunteers view you and the society in terms of benefit and value? Well, of course, I'm not a businessman. I'm a humanities guy. So I look at things from the humanities perspective. And I think our main benefit is education. But that being said, we also have a tremendous economic benefit to the Eudora community. We've hired dozens of contractors to perform work. We've brought in 15,000 people into downtown Eudora since I've been here to visit our museum. Those people visit our shops and cafes. And there was a study done by the Americans for the Art Economic Impact Calculator. And according to that, I just put in all the numbers. I, it's online. You can say how many people we've had, how much money we've raised. And according to that calculator, we've raised $1.7 million to uh, local governments and local businesses since we started to uh, operate in 2011. Wow. So we've, uh, there's a definite economic benefit as well to us. Therefore, I think it's a strategic use of government funding to give some money to museums in history because it generally results in a greater economic development. It brings in more money than it costs. Yep, absolutely. And the community can be so proud of the beautiful historical society that you have created under your leadership. And also they see the plaques around town. You know, they see all of the great things that you folks are doing with school children and the events that you sponsor. You're really into the fabric of the Eudora area and its history. Yes, yes. We're very grateful to have um, become a more notable and important organization over these years. And as I've said, it's easy to become notable because people care so deeply about their history that there's a, there's a natural desire to support our history because people care about it so much. It's been, it's been a great thrill for me. I've worked here for 11 and a half years, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. And I look forward to continuing to work here. So I've, I'm very pleased with what we've accomplished since 2011. Well, man, you're doing a great job. Ben, I want to thank you for spending the time with us today. I've learned a lot about Eudora, had a great time, 
and I'm really, really glad to meet you. You know, I think I told you this earlier, you are a bright star in the community, and it's truly been inspiring how much you and your society do to help the community and your members. Well, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. And with that, we'll end our time with our guest, Ben Terwilliger, the Executive Director of the Eudora Area Historical Society and Museum, located in Eudora, Kansas. Listeners, please stay tuned for my comments and wrap-up, which is coming up next. Hey everyone, we'll be right back to Preservation Oaks with Sean Thomas Radcliffe after these important messages. This program will now pause for universal identification. Back in time, when people got sick, they got well again due to the knowledge their mom had from her mom, and she in turn from her mom, and, well, you get the idea. A good knowledge of history is a good thing for all kinds of reasons when making decisions about the future. Learn the history of your ancestors and your community at your local historical or genealogical society. Historical traditions are there for a reason. Support your local society today and like a good mom, pass the knowledge on to your kids. On Preservation Oaks, we understand that every museum, cultural and heritage institution, historical and genealogical society has a story to tell. And our mission is to help share that story and the value of your organization. When you appear as a guest on Preservation Oaks, you unlock and share your story with worldwide listeners. If you're interested in being a guest on the program, send an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. We're proud to help tell your stories, one valued organization at a time. And now, back to Preservation Oaks. Welcome back. Well, chatting with Ben Terwilliger has been so interesting. And what a wonderful journey the Eudora area has been on in the 21st century so far. People of Eudora, Douglas County, Johnson County, Lawrence and Kansas City, heads up. If you haven't seen the inside of your Eudora Area Historical Society Museum yet, by all means, plan a visit. It's really something you can be proud of. And it's going to get even better with your help. Like many of our listeners, I've been to museums all across the United States, in San Francisco, Denver, Chicago, St. Louis, Atlanta, and many other towns and cities. And I'm here to tell you that, though the Eudora Museum is modest by comparison with some of the large city museums, I can honestly tell you that what you folks have created in Eudora is impressive, very well done. It's beautiful. The museum is truly fit for its purpose. The work of getting your Eudora Area Historical Society and Museum into a building originally built in 1866 is almost at an end. The new roof will go on before this winter season, and while maintenance on the building will never end, the lion's share of the initial building phase has been completed. 
But Ben and the members of your Eudora Area Historical Society are not about resting on their laurels. No. Now that the building dust is settling, the people supporting, joining, and volunteering at the museum can help with the next very important phase, which Ben says consists of, number one, collections management, which includes digitizing the collection. Number two, Ben mentioned needing additional artifact donations and a collection of stories and oral interviews from the community. He mentioned needing volunteers who are good at organizing events and fundraisers and volunteer researchers. In this next phase, the Historical Society can focus on more community education and redeveloping the museum space with more thematic exhibits. That means there's a need for local volunteer artists, electricians, carpenters, and others to help create and install the new exhibits and ensure that the artifact collections the museum has are rotated on and off the museum floor. This is an exciting phase for the Eudora area for sure, and these are really the glory days of your Eudora Area Historical Society and Museum. So please, join the fun, volunteer, and donate. Donate, donate. Artifacts, oral interviews, time, expertise, event planning skills, research skills, and money. If you're a retired educator from the area school system and you're looking for a great way to contribute to your community in your retirement, this is it. You're all very much in need. You can donate funding via PayPal on the Society's website or just write a check and drop it by. If you've observed how your museum has blossomed in the 21st century thus far and want to help with the next phase, then the community is going to have something so great to be even prouder of in the future. Supporting the Historical Society is important. It puts those of us in the present in touch with the people of the past who shaped our landscape, named our landmarks, and made the decisions that ultimately affect us today. You folks in the Eudora area are so fortunate to have the original deed to the town and a picture of your namesake, Eudora Fish herself. This quote from Ben, I want the community to know that this is your museum. This belongs to the people of the Eudora area. The only reason we exist is for them. The Eudora Area Historical Society and Museum are supported by the people of the area, by their generous donations and volunteers. Please continue to help and support your historical society and museum. Ben Terwilliger is a great steward and executive director of the society. In this next phase, starting in 2023, he's going to need your continued support to keep doing the work he started back in 2011, and he is well qualified to do it. The Eudora Area Historical Society and Museum, located in Eudora, Kansas, is truly one of our nation's preservation oaks. There were a thousand more questions I could have asked during our time together, but as always, we're limited by time. If questions occur to you and you'd like more information, please connect with the Society via the contact information provided. If you're a listener in the area the Society serves, or if you're a listener researching ancestors in the community the Society serves, and you're not already a member, please consider joining and supporting them. I hope this information helps the audience understand how valuable the Eudora Area Historical Society and Museum is to the community and what kinds of excellent services they have to offer to their members and the public. Ben and his team are really doing a lot of educational events for school-aged children, and that's really great. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. 
Music used today is from Scott Holmes, Nefex, Cheel, RKVC, Track Tribe, and Symbolbird. Microstream Radio is a registered trademark. This broadcast is owned and copyrighted by Microstream Radio. It cannot be rebroadcast, downloaded, copied, or used anywhere without the written permission of Microstream Radio. Thanks to everybody for listening. This is Sean Radcliffe. See you all next time on Preservation Oak.